Would you please turn with me to your study outline? And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online and also our friends at the Hangar in Montana and also those in Arco, Idaho, and also at Purpose Church Rancho Cucamonga. We are so glad that you are joining us from our study of God's Word this morning. And, and forgive me if I sip some water every once in a while. Uh, you know, it's a, family, it's a holiday tradition to get sick during the holidays. How many of you enjoyed that holiday tradition? Okay, so I've been sick all week. I feel good this morning, but it's only because of drugs, and so I'm high on drugs right now. Who knows what I'm going to preach? You can tell me if it makes my sermon worse or better, you know, but anyway, but for some reason, it makes my mouth dry, so uh, forgive me if I just keep sipping water uh, the whole time. Uh, that's what is going on uh, there. So anyway, we're going to start a new series from the Gospel of John. And every once in a while, what I do is I do inventory. I look over my preaching. I've been pastor here for 22 years. And I look over and say, you know, have there been, what are the gaps? What are the part of the whole counsel of God uh, that I have neglected to preach on? And every once in a while, I will find a gap that I need to fill. And so I was just looking over the last 22 years, you know, have I failed to ever uh, cover an important book of the Bible or an important subject? And to my surprise, I discovered that I've never preached a series on the Gospel of John. Now, I want you to know, that's like pastoral malpractice. I'm surprised that the deacons have not pulled my license uh, because of this, because that's just crazy, because, you know, certain books, you know, like um, uh, Romans or, or uh, Galatians, Ephesians, uh, Acts, and the Gospel of John, uh, th- those, are, those are books that really are so foundational. All of God's Word is important, every last little bit of it, but there are certain ones that really summarize the whole uh, Gospel message message, and John is one of those. I've done a series on Leviticus. I've done messages on Jude, on Obadiah, but never done a message or a series on the gospel of John, and we're going to fix that in 2016, and we are going to have a great, great time in this great, great book from God's Word. Now, the reason uh, John is just so appropriate for the day and age in which we live is that it was written for skeptics. It was written for skeptics of Christianity in the first century Greco-Roman world. It is written for skeptics of Christianity in the 21st century American culture. Uh, John 20, verse 31, actually a verse at the end of the book, gives his purpose for the book. He says, but these are written, that is, these stories about Jesus, these, this narrative about Jesus. He's one of the four eyewitnesses that give a biography of Jesus. Uh, these biographies, these stories are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, let me just tell you something I'm so excited about. I can hardly stand it. Uh, we, I just think 2016 is going to be one of the greatest ye- years in the history, 146-year history of our church. I'm just so excited about this. We have been asked to host the second weekend in February. That's Valentine's Day weekend. We have been asked to host one of the top apologetics conferences in all the world. We're going to have 10 of the top Christian philosophers, scientists, and thinkers are going to be here at our church on a Friday night, a Saturday, and then Mark Middleberg, who had just an awesome, awesome uh, apologist, defender of the Christian faith, is going to be speaking at all the services on Sunday morning, and we have been asked to host this conference, and it is without exaggeration one of the top Christian apologetics conferences in the country, some of the top thinkers in Christianity to today, and it's going to be right here, and I know it's Valentine's Day weekend, but I can't think of anything more romantic than an apologetics conference. I just think... 
you know, baby, let's go and learn about the faith. I just, it just sounds, uh, it'll work for Kimberly, I'm sure. I haven't brought it up yet, but I'm really thinking it's going to be a, a great time. And, and so really, I'll give you more information on it. We'll have handouts that you can hand out to your friends. And, and boy, for the left-brainers, uh, you know, the right-brainers are reached through their heart, and left-brainers are reached through their brains. And for your left-brain friends and family members, and if you're a left-brainer, this is going to be like Christmas all over again, and really encourage you to mark that on your calendar. It is going to be an awesome, awesome time. I'll give you more written details in the program next week. Now, I'll talk more about the author, John, in the weeks ahead, but let me just give you a little bit on him as we start in. He was a fisherman who became a disciple or a follower of Jesus. He spent three years with Jesus. Now, when he writes this book, he's 72 years old. He's pastoring a church in Ephesus, which is today in the nation of Turkey. And he sits down as an eyewitness, and he writes down his account of the life of Jesus as an eyewitness. I'm going to start our series with a question. Why is Jesus greater than me? John 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. Word with a capital W. John Piper uh, writes, he says, John calls Jesus the Word because he had come to see the words of Jesus as the truth of God and the person of Jesus as the truth of God in such a unified way that Jesus himself in his coming and working and teaching and dying and rising was the final and decisive message of God. Uh, Five reasons why Jesus is greater than me. Number one, I have a birthday and Jesus is eternal. Uh, John 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. He is pre-incarnate. He was not created in Bethlehem or even nine months before Bethlehem uh, at the Christmas story. He was eternity past, present, and future. In the beginning, he was with God, and Jesus is God. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Now, this is hard to understand. This is hard to wrap our minds away around. This is, this is difficult. But J.B. Phillips wrote, if God was small enough to understand, he wouldn't be large enough to be worshipped. If we could understand everything about him, he, he'd be too small to be worshipped. If he was small enough that we could understand him, he wouldn't be large enough in order for us to worship him. A second reason why uh, Jesus is greater than me is he was created, I was created, but Jesus created everything. Now just think about that. What a staggering claim that is. Verse 3, through him, Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Uh, What an incredible thing the universe is. Uh, A million earths can fit into the sun. Just think about that. Uh, A million, as big as the earth is, you can fit a million of them into the sun. If the sun was the size of a basketball, the earth would be the size of a pinhead on that basketball. Uh, Just think of that. Um, What an amazing thing. Uh, My son Noah, um, one of the gifts we gave to him was a calendar on Chuck Norris. So every day there's a new saying about Chuck Norris, you know, about how awesome Chuck Norris is. And one of the days, I think it's like today or the next day, uh, it says that Neil Armstrong walked on the moon, but Chuck Norris walked on the sun, which is actually not true. He did not do that. But, but, but Jesus, Jesus walked on the sun. Jesus created the sun. Antares is a star in our galaxy. It's so big that you could fit 512 million suns of our suns would fit into Antares. 
Antares is 10,000 times brighter than our sun. But Antares isn't even close to the biggest star in our universe. Uh, Yale astronomer Pieter van Dokum has uh, estimated that in our universe there are 300 sextillion stars. That's three children times 100 billion stars. What an amazing thing the universe is. And it says, through him, Jesus, all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. John Corson writes, when we think about the size of the universe, we realize that we are nothing more than specks on a speck in a speck. And yet most of the time, we think we are pretty spectacular, don't we? Uh, Psalm 33, verse 9, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood and it stood firm. Second reason why Jesus is greater than me is I was created, but Jesus created everything. Third reason, I was a slave, but Jesus made me a child of God. I know slave is a strong word, but Jesus said in John 8, he replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So he's talking spiritually. He's saying that uh, we are, he's talking about spiritual slavery. Everybody who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. Uh, Next page of your study outline, turning to the back now, uh, continuing with verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, this is not the author of the gospel. This is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and even though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, yet to all who did receive him, maybe today is your day. Have you never received Jesus as your Savior and Lord? This this could be your moment. This could be your day. What better way to start out the new year than to open up your heart and receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. Now, in the Greco-Roman culture of that time, it was a huge step to be adopted in Roman culture. An adopted child renounced all their rights with their old family. And this child had all the rights of a naturally born child, a birth child in his new family. So an adopted child had all the same rights as a child born into that Roman, Greco-Roman family. In the eyes of the law, he or she was considered a new person. This is a new person now once they've been adopted into this new family. All their debts were canceled as though they had never existed. All their previous debts, gone, canceled, because that was an old person. That old person wasn't alive anymore. It was a new person that had been adopted into this new family. The new father had complete responsibility for the new child. The adopted child became a full heir, uh, just like a child that was born into that family. Uh, Four of our six children are adopted, 
and yet they will get the same cut of the vast estate that Kimberly and I are going to leave behind someday. They'll, they'll get an equal cut with the, the children born into the family will be those that are adopted into the family. Uh, number three, third reason why Jesus is greater than me is I am flesh, but Jesus is God in the flesh. It says in verse 14, the word became flesh. We talked about this last Sunday. Incarnation, incarnate, carne, carne. Remember we said carne asada is is grilled meat, and I made everybody hungry, and they left halfway through my sermon to to go get something to eat, you know, and to grab something uh, because that made them hungry. But but in carne, in meat, literally God became meat. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Uh, The Greek word here literally means He pitched a tent. That's what this word in the Greek means. Pitched a tent, um, camped out in our neighborhood. God pitched a tent temporarily in our neighborhood. He temporarily came to dwell, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Okay, isn't that interesting? He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Okay, that is the Ten Commandments, the Old Testament law. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Moses brought the Old Testament law. Moses brought the Ten Commandments and all the other uh, commandments. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. That is, Jesus came to explain God to us. He came to expound on God uh, to us. Uh, Jesus himself said in John 14, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Okay, so how do you, if you want to know how God treats people, have you ever wondered, how does God treat me? Maybe you have an image of God. Everybody gets a different image of God. Uh, Sometimes they say it's based um, on your upbringing, or I I don't know if this is 100% true, but sometimes they say whatever your image of your earthly father was, that's your, your image of God. And so if your earthly father was extremely strict and distant and, 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 and hard on you, then that's your image of God. And if your, your earthly father um, abandoned you, that's your image of God. Or if your earthly father didn't take care of your needs, that's your image of God. And so we all have imperfect images of God But now Christ comes, Jesus comes, and he asks the question, how does God treat other people? You just got to look at Jesus, and you can see how does God treat other people. How does God talk? How does God speak to other people? You just look at Jesus, and you say, that's how God talks to other people. How does God act? I want to know, how does God act? What's he like? You just simply look at Jesus. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father It says, the son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. And so if you want to know what God, if you want to recalibrate your image of God, if you want to get the false ideas of God out of your head and get the correct ones into your head, then you look at Jesus and that's what God is like.
Number five, I'm a sinner, but Jesus is the solution for sin. Verse 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Okay? So Jesus is greater than me because Jesus is God. But then, even though Jesus was born after John the Baptist, John the Baptist was slightly older than Jesus. He said, even though he came after me, he is actually before me because he's eternal, uh, pre-incarnate, eternity, past, present, and future. Now, people were always asking John the Baptist if he was the Messiah. And he says in verse 20, he did not fail to confess, but confess freely, I am not the Messiah. I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He says, there's somebody here that is the Messiah. I'm not the Messiah, but he's in the crowd right now, and I am not worthy of stooping down and untying his shoelaces. Now, John the Baptist was a really godly guy. He had taken and lived out what was called back then a Nazarite vow. Uh, that was a vow that people would take for their utter dedication uh, to God. They would never cut their hair. Uh, they would never eat grapes or drink wine. Uh, they abstained from earthly pleasures in order to pray and serve God all the time. It was kind of like a monk uh, being committed to a monastery uh, and to his uh, vows. Um, so John the Baptist hung out in the desert. He ate grasshoppers. He wore camel skin. Uh, John the Baptist was kind of the Mother Teresa of his day. He was a very godly man. But John says, I'm not worthy to even touch Jesus' shoelaces. Uh, historians from this time period tell us that untying the straps of someone's sandals was a job for the lowest of the low slaves. You knew you were at the bottom of the pecking order if you were the ones that had to stoop down at the end of a long, hot day of somebody walking in the sun with smelly feet and, and smelly sandals, and you were the one. Uh, this was the ultimate dirty jobs. Have you ever seen that on Discovery Channel? Uh, the dirtiest jobs. Well, back then, they would have featured the ones that had to kneel down at the end of the day and untie uh, the sandals. That was the job for the lowest of the lowest slaves. And yet John the Baptist, the Mother Teresa of his time, said, I am not worthy to kneel down and touch his shoelaces. Now that's, that's wild. Because John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. Their mothers were friends. They had probably grown up together. They had probably played together as kids. But John the Baptist says, I don't even deserve to touch this guy's shoelaces. He was humbled before Jesus' greatness. One verse I want to just keep in there, verse 28. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now, one more quick commercial. Last Sunday of this month, we're going to baptize at all the services. Next Sunday, I'm going to have a class just uh, right after that last uh, service at 1230, right through that door. I'll share a little bit about what the Bible teaches about baptism. And, and just by showing up to that class, and, and no obligation, we don't all of a sudden lock all the doors and the door floor opens up and we push you in the water or anything like that. 
Uh, you could just find out more about what the Bible teaches about baptism. And if you've never been baptized to show publicly that you want to follow Jesus, or maybe you've been through some stuff and you want to make a rededication, kind of like renewing your wedding vows, and you want to renew that commitment to Christ in, in the new year, uh, for whatever reason, God's laying it on your heart. Boy, I'd love to talk to you. Just get a chance to share and see you. What better way to start 2016 than to open your heart to Christ and to show that publicly uh, by being baptized. Now, Jesus is greater than me in all these ways we've been talking about, but here's the good news. Even though he is so much greater than me, look at what Jesus has done for me. Ephesians 2. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Do you see the repetition of those words? I've got them bold there in your study outline. Even though he is so much greater than us, what are the words? If you want to know what God's like, you look at Jesus and what words pop off the page? Love, mercy, alive, grace, saved, raised, seated, the incomparable riches of his grace. Little boy saw the Washington Monument for the first time. And he goes up to a guard there at the Washington Monument. He reaches into his pocket and he pulled out a quarter. He says to the guard, I want to buy it. Guard said, that's not, a, that's not enough. Not enough money. Little boy says, I thought you'd say that. And he pulls out nine more cents. Guard said, you need to understand three things. First of all, 34 cents is not enough. In fact, $34 million would not be enough. Number two, the monument is not for sale. And number three, if you're a United States citizen, the Washington Monument already belongs to you. Okay? Don't have enough if you wanted to buy it. Couldn't. It's not for sale. And if you're a citizen of the United States, you already own it. You're already a part owner of it. It belongs to you. And that's the nature of grace. Grace is undeserved favor. You can't pay for your salvation. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough. You can't do enough good and hope that it outweighs the bad. You can never pay for your salvation. You can never be good enough. Number two, it's not for sale. And number three, when you open up your heart to Christ, it already belongs to you. If you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're a citizen of heaven, and salvation is already yours. John 1 verse 16, and from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Let's read that out loud, uh, out loud together. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. So what better way to start the new year than to share the Lord's Supper together? This is a way we regularly remember how he did purchase that salvation through his death on the cross. The cup represents his shed blood, the bread, his body given for us uh, so that we could be adopted into God's forever family, have the full inheritance rights of every other child. To as many as received him, he gave them the right to become children of God. 
you, if you've done that, if you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're welcome to share the Lord's Supper. You say, Glenn, I'm not sure if I've done it. Or if I'd like to do it today, how would I go about doing it? If you look at the next page of your program, in the upper left-hand corner there of page 5, you'll see the three steps to being a follower of Jesus Christ or to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And there's a little suggested prayer there. And if you've ever prayed that prayer or something like it, and there's nothing magical in the exact wording of that prayer, it simply expresses what the Bible says we need to cry out from our heart uh, to God for um, in, in Christ, how we, how we call out to him. And if you've prayed that prayer or something like it from your heart in the past, or if you'd like to do it today, what better way to start 2016 than to receive this Christmas gift from God and, then, and to become a citizen of God's family and, and, and to receive that great gift of grace and his love and forgiveness And there's that little suggested prayer. And if you've ever prayed that or something like it in the past, or if you'd like to do it today, you are very, very welcome uh, to share the Lord's Supper with us as we remember and honor him as we go into a new year. So let's take just a moment and prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper.